0: Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. It's officially marathon season. Well, okay, maybe not officially, but it's definitely that time of year where the running world goes marathon crazy. Although, I'm not racing a marathon this fall. Bring out your violins there. (laughs) Many runners are well into their marathon preparation. Those of you who are familiar with Runners Connect know that we have one of, actually, I believe the best, marathon nutrition programs around. Our head coach, Jeff Gordet spent a long time perfecting this. And if you are thinking about your marathon fueling, I highly recommend you check out our Marathon Blueprint. I will put a link to it in the show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC70. So getting back on track here, I'm not here to talk to you about the marathon nutrition, although obviously that is a part of our podcast today. My point of bringing this up was to say that this is the time of year most runners tend to put nutrition and their fueling as a focus. If you're going to spend hundreds of hours training for a race, do you really want to throw it all away by messing up your nutrition? and having a bad stomach on the day of the race, we all know how horrible that feels, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. My guest today has written a book on how to do just that, a book that you can use to slowly change your eating to suit you. This is not a blanket diet book that tells you to cut out a certain food or do a certain thing, but this is more a way of figuring out what your body responds best to, and how you can use that to perform your best come race day. So my guest today is Pip Taylor, and her book is called The Athlete Fix. It was a really enjoyable read with some fantastic recipes at the end. If you are even remotely interested in improving your nutrition for the future, you're going to love this interview, especially if you love Australian accents. So who is Pip? Well, Pip is a practicing dietitian, sports dietitian, and professional triathlete. She's competed internationally for 15 years. She's won the ITU World Cup and many Ironman events. She's represented Australia on many occasions. She's a speaker and regular contributor to various fitness magazines and is now a mother of two. So today, Pip and I are going to talk about the role fear plays in our refusal to change aspects of our diet and how to approach those social situations where we can be pressured to abandon those changes. I think we've all been out for a meal or something like that where you are kind of made to feel like you're, you're wrong for trying to change your nutrition and this is really where I found it interesting to talk to Pip and she had some great suggestions here. We're also going to talk about what outside factors can affect our reactions to food especially when you are training hard. This was really interesting. And why changing your nutrition for your training does not have to be overwhelming. I know sometimes it can seem like there's so many things that you need to try and so many different conflicting uh, advice coming out there, but this is really about tailoring it to you based on how you feel. So it's not so overwhelming and she explains why. And this will help you get more out of your training. So for me, I think that's worthwhile and I'm sure you will too. So that's enough from me in this intro. You ready to meet Pip? Let's do it. Welcome to the Run to the Top podcast, Pip. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you on and a great book we're going to talk over in just a minute. But could you firstly start off, uh, I talked about you a little in the intro, but could you kind of share your story of when you realized you needed to make a change in your life, starting with cutting gluten, however you want to begin that.
1: Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, it's... It's important to to say from the outset that I've always eaten really well. You know, I grew up in a family of very good cooks um, and very health focused. My mum's a doctor, so you know, nutrition for me has always been good. It's always and I've always been aware that eating well was important for health, but also for sports performance as well. And then, as as an athlete myself, you know, it was always something that I was pretty keyed into as being an important part of the process of being an athlete. But I think that my thoughts about and, and viewpoints about what made a healthy diet really, really kind of changed over those years. And based on, one, my own experiences and really uh, tuning into my body and how it reacted to different types of foods um, and also I think my own journey of, of digging a little deeper into my my questioning, I guess, of, of not taking things that I had been told or that I had learnt even through my formal studies in nutrition and trying to understand things a bit more myself. So for me, I guess my journey in terms of cutting out some particular foods was really becoming aware of uh, some symptoms that I started to question and think, no, they're not, they're not normal. I shouldn't have to be putting up with these Um, and just really playing around and experimenting with my diet um, and finding what was what was working and wasn't what wasn't working
0: so it, it sounds pretty pretty similar to what I would what actually most people who are interested in nutrition and kind of take it one step further like like yourself writing a book or something similar in that it isn't you suddenly wake up one day and you're like right uh, like You're not on a diet, like kind of how the uh, culture we live in kind of pushes that, you know, t- Monday starts my new thing. It just seems like you're one of many who each day you kind of made a little bit of a change and slowly over time you figured out what works and what didn't. So that that's always good to hear that it wasn't a sudden change that is so overwhelming and intimidating. It was a slow change over time. Um, But you mentioned about, you know, you realized that some of your symptoms were not normal. But what do you kind of say to people listening who kind of just assume that these reactions are normal? Kind of like, you know, you finish dinner and, you know, an hour later you get that familiar, like, gurgling in your stomach. And it's okay because that's normal and it's just part of your food digesting. Like, what do you kind of say to people who who think that still? Yeah, look, I think. I mean, you're right that's that's so
1: much a part of it is that um, we grow to accept things as part of our normality, um, and and sometimes it's hard to take a step back and say, "Well, you know does does everyone really have headaches every day? Does everyone really have some sort of stomach upset, or is there something else that I could be doing about it?" Um, and then there there are other people who um, either consciously or subconsciously, know that it's not normal. Um, but one, they might not know how to go about making a change or what to change, um, or two, that, that change might be a bit scary, um, particularly if it involves changing your diet and your food. And that's because, you know, for all of us, um, what we eat is about more than just nutrients and food. There's, there's so much wrapped up in it, you know, emotions and, you know, traditions. Foods that you grow up eating as a kid, there's a lot wrapped up in that. Um, so for some people, telling them to to change or, or cut out certain foods is is um, is not as simple as it sounds. But I think in in terms of uh, in terms of the symptoms, it's really a matter of, of tuning into your body and um, figuring out you know what what is happening. Are you having skin issues? Are you having headaches? Are you having stomach issues? and trying to, to work backwards and, and figure out if they are related to food. Um, obviously, there can be other things causing causing any of those symptoms because they're so broad, but, but diet and nutrition can certainly be a factor in a lot of them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of how we've been learning, you know, in the last few years about uh, the... Furnace connect actually wrote a post uh which i will feature on the show notes about um how you know is the if the furnace is hot enough argument is not actually true you know you you can't get away with eating everything and i think you're right that it it's we've got to look at look into diet more and consider how much of a role it plays um but i just want to clarify before we move on anymore um athletes fix which is the name of your book um, could you just kind of describe it in a nutshell for people who may not have heard of it just before we move on any further?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's a book, um, a program for finding your best foods for performance and health. Um, and that's, that's the subtitle. And that really, I guess, summarizes what the book is about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it, it sets it out in, in almost kind of two layers. Um, and the first is about finding foods that for almost everyone will be contributing more to health um, and, and eliminating some of those foods that will be detrimental to health. Um, and because any time that we talk about performance, you need to have this, this platform of basic health to start with. Um, you know, you can, you can train all you want, you can have the best coaches, you can have the best equipment, you can have the best laid plans, but if you don't have your basic health, um, then there's really no point turning up to the training and racing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the first step. And that's that's really I guess cleaning up your diet. And and the goal of that is twofold. One, it will make it will make almost everyone feel a lot better, perform a lot better. Um, but two, what it does is is simplify things enough so that you have some clarity in terms of Trying to pick up on patterns of reactions to other foods, so so that you can then once you start tracking what you're eating and and tracking any of those symptoms or level of fatigue or, or trouble sleeping whatever it is, um, and work backwards from that to say, hey, I can see that that for me, you know, dairy is really not doing me any good. I find that whenever I have something something containing lactose that that's causing these stomach issues in, in my training. Um, and I can see that pattern really clearly. Um, for other people it might be it might, it might be gluten that they're reacting poorly to. Um, and so that's that's really the second the second level of the book, I guess, um, is figuring out those individual differences between people. And from there it's a matter of of adding foods back in and and getting to a, a really balanced diet incorporating as many foods as possible that are that are contributing to your health and performance. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're not so much saying, you know, this is a bad food, this is a good food. Well, maybe a little with some some extremes, but you're more kind of finding out what works for the individual person. So if if you are listening and you're thinking, yeah, but I, I don't want to cut out everything. She's not talking about it permanently, uh, unless it does irritate you enough. And if that is the case, then you probably don't want to add it in anyway, because it makes you feel bad but you're talking about your, you know, you you do incorporate foods back in so you can figure out exactly what is making you feel uncomfortable. And we all know how horrible that feels when you're trying to perform and you're not feeling good. So if you can avoid that, it's, it's worth removing that food if you need to. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's it. And the other thing that it's important to note too is that when we're talking about food intolerances, there's a big difference between food allergies. And allergies are something that I mean, most people are aware if they have an allergy. Um, It's a very, um, mostly a quick reaction um, and it can be, you know, a life-threatening reaction as well. Intolerances are a little bit more nuanced and that's what the book is trying to really figure out. But by the same token, intolerances don't necessarily mean that, you know, having having a small amount of that food is going to cause big problems. So it might mean that you become very well aware that for you, you know, gluten is, is something that you don't tolerate well, But it doesn't mean that come Christmas Day, you can't eat your, your, your famous auntie's Christmas cake, or you can't, you know, you can't travel and, and have something, a sauce perhaps that might have a tiny bit of gluten in it. For some people, those small amounts won't actually cause any reaction at all it may be that for them that they're sensitive to larger amounts and and that build up that cumulative effect is what's important Um, for other people even those small amounts they may have a small reaction but they say well you know what it's so infrequent and I can actually deal with those consequences at this time I'm not racing tomorrow I don't have a key session tomorrow Um, it's not hugely important I just know that you know, that reaction is symptomatic of some inflammation going on. So it's something that I want to steer clear of the majority of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's that's great that you did mention that because uh, I think that is important that, you know, this isn't you. Like you said, you can never have a beloved food again. You just have to kind of have to weigh up the... Um, what's more important to you. I actually a few weeks ago went out to um, dinner in Chicago with some friends of mine from England and uh, one of them in particular hadn't eaten gluten in two years and he said you know what I'm gonna have a Chicago deep dish pizza I'm gonna whatever happens with the consequences like this is a moment for me I've got all my friends around me so he just did it and to him the you know the cost was worth the discomfort he would feel but like you said it's it's okay to do that every now and again or whenever you feel necessary but it's just kind of paying attention to your body on a regular basis and speaking of that so we just want to kind of clarify this even though your book is called the athlete fix and you know it's uh obviously going to be the most um helpful for athletes you're not just talking about athletes correct you can this can be applied to anyone who wants to take their life or training seriously
1: Exactly, yes. No, it's, um, you know, I really set out to make it a, a book and a, and a guide for everyone um, right from the elite professional athlete right through to anyone that identifies as being active or the inactive person um, who, who has that ambition of, of becoming more healthy and a little bit active as part of the process.
0: Okay, great. That's that's good to clear that up. So let's kind of, I just, this was something that intrigued me during the book and you mentioned it a little earlier, but I just want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into it. You talked about uh, fear and how, you know, we don't want to be told we can't have a cherished food, especially like you said, it could be tied to memories or something in your culture, but how big of a role do you think that actually plays in the dietary decisions people make or the fear of uh, trying to change their diet?
1: Uh, look, I think I think it plays a a huge role, both the fear as well as our habits. You know, we we have really ingrained habits about what we eat, and even habits about the volumes of foods that we eat, um, and some of those are quite hard to break. And it's it's really the fear of the unknown um, when it comes to food as well. And and I find with a lot of people, particularly if once you do find that. They may not be tolerating a particular food quite well and the avoidance of that and all of a sudden they say, well, what am I going to eat? And they look at you with this blank look because <laughs> particularly if, if you're saying, well, you know, you, you shouldn't really be having gluten or wheat um, and all of a sudden for them, you know, their breakfast is gone um, for their cereal, their their lunch is gone because they eat a sandwich and, and their dinner of pasta. Um it's all gone. And so for them it, it's really difficult to look past that. And you know, the reality is you only have to go you have to go to a farmer's market or you have to go into any grocery at all and you look around and there's so many other options. Um but for them it's just become this daily habit, this weekly habit of of what they eat. Um and that can be quite confronting. And um, and it can be confronting too because um You know, it it might be it might be that their skills in the kitchen are not that great, and those are the things that they know how to cook. Um, And so all of a sudden, you know, you're you're asking them to to upskill and and learn all these other other things as well. Um, So there's definitely a lot of fear about changing food. There's also the fear that they think, you know, in our culture, a lot about socialising. Um, is about going out and eating with people or going to someone's house or having people to, to your house and and you don't want to stand out as that that person the one who's you know questioning every ingredient at the restaurant or is um, you know being disrespectful to a host at a dinner party because they're pushing bits to the side of the plate but the reality is I think and what I've really tried to bring across in the book as well is that it's not strange foods they're they're very very normal foods they're foods that you'd find on any menu Um, they're foods that most people already cook at home so that they're just very small changes um, to to make them appropriate
0: yeah and i just want to while you said that just use some examples some of the recipes uh, as there is a recipe section at the end of uh, pip's book here and um, for some of you, you know, I'm going to read out some of the ones that particularly stood out to me. But, you know, each of the ones I mentioned, I don't think anyone listening would have not heard of any in the in, of the ingredients in here. So for me, the ones that stood out to me was uh, sweet potato hash brown with with an egg on top, um, coconut, apple, cinnamon pancakes, uh, chili lime chicken with cucumber salad and chocolate cherry coconut bites. I mean, each of those. There's no, there's no quinoa. There's no, you know, special um, star fruit or you know, even papaya or anything that's very, you know, foods we would see every day. So, uh, if you do decide to pick up this book, and I will put a link to it on the show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc70, you will see um, that the book, yeah, she what she's recommending isn't isn't anything crazy, isn't anything intimidating. It's like you said, things you can find every day.
1: Yeah, that's it. Now, that was a big goal of the book is to make it really approachable. So, ingredients that can be found everywhere—you um, know, or almost whatever country you're in, you can find them. You can find them in your local grocery shop. Um, so, and and the and the recipes themselves too were all designed to be very simple, simple cooking.
0: Um, yep. Yeah, are, are those all things that you came up with yourself, kind of experimenting yes. in the kitchen? That's cool. Yes, that's yeah. good. I can't wait to give them a try I'm excited (laughs) um so I just want to kind of go just a little deeper into you you said about you know the social aspect of um this fear or whatever it is not wanting to stand out and I really thought I think everyone listening can can remember that time maybe you were out at a restaurant and you ordered something you know either something very healthy or off the lighter menu or a salad or something like that and you kind of felt like everyone was staring at you with their fried chicken or their um you know their big fajitas and enchiladas and you felt uncomfortable but even though I think it is getting better over time have you found any specific advice for people listening who you know maybe don't want to stand out like you said I know a few weeks ago we had a, a comedian Liz Meeley, who, uh, you know, she's surrounded by these, you know, big men who are, you know, eating, you know, they're not exactly going to be the typical healthy eating kind of guys, and she's trying to eat a bit healthier. So she stands out to me as a prime example of someone who would struggle with this. And I don't know if she did, I I haven't mentioned it to her. But do you have any advice for people like that, if you are in that situation, and it's hard to kind of get around that uh, stigma, I guess? I, I think
1: I think first of all, and, and probably the most important thing is to is to be proud and, and take ownership of the fact that you um, that you do think that what you're eating is important. You know that that's nothing to be ashamed of. And and probably if you if you're at a table of people, they should all take note of that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be a little bit more conscious of what you are ordering and eating. Um, but the second thing is is that mostly it's it's possible to order and eat even out at, at any restaurant these days without making a fuss of it. I mean, even if you're going to an Italian restaurant and you're going there and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't, you know, I'm someone that can't eat gluten and I'm going to Italian, it's going to be all pizza, it's going to be all pasta. I guarantee on that menu there's there's going to be a steak and salad or a steak and vegetables um, and potatoes, roast potatoes. And, you know, you can, you can order that. No issue at all. no one's ever going to question it. If you're asking for sauce on the side, then you're asking for sauce on the side again it, it's not a big deal. Um, so I think that's that's important to remember um, is that you know most restaurant most wait staff are very um, okay with those orders now because they see them all the time but yeah really but really, I think the most important thing is to be to be proud and take ownership
0: yeah, I definitely agree. And just uh, to go on, as you mentioned, the Italian restaurant a little. Um, you said about, you know, choosing the steak and potatoes, and obviously that's if they don't have a gluten-free pasta, which quite a lot of places do, or gluten-free pizza. What about uh, traditional pasta dinners uh, for runners, as most of our listeners are runners? Uh, should Do you think, in your opinion, they should be replaced? Like, is this... Um, You know, you've obviously mentioned if people are gluten intolerant, they should. But what about for everyone else? Do you think we've kind of overdone it with this pasta dinner thing?
1: (laughs) I (laughs) I think, um, you know, there's uh, I think I think the pasta, the carbo loading pasta dinners uh, have a lot going against them. Um, The nice thing about them is that they're a social occasion. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that's something that, that can and should continue. And, and you know, I'm, I would never tell someone not to go, but maybe it's something that you need to consider why you're going. Are you going there to, to eat as much as you can or are you going there to socialise? Because if you're going there to socialise and meet people, then maybe if you're aiming to have the best race possible, then maybe it's something that you having your dinner before you go uh, somewhere else and, and you turn up and do your socialising and, and meet people then.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would you recommend instead for people the night before a race?
1: Uh, look, that I mean, that has, that's such an individual thing and it, it okay. depends so much on what you're racing, what you've done previously, you know, what foods you're accustomed to eating, um, if you're travelling overseas. Um, yeah very open-ended question but I think the biggest advice would be to to do what you normally do think of what you do um, before your big key training workouts and and keep it as similar to that as you can
0: Mm -hmm. so as we kind of hear with marathon training and and beyond that you know it's the importance of practicing your fueling Um, so related to that you know you said about what you're accustomed to uh from what I got in your book you believe your gut like can be trained um to like certain things based on or not like it but accept it and digest it based on you know you practicing it but do you believe you can kind of overcome those intolerances or you know you mentioned earlier a little about people you know may build up and then they start to feel uncomfortable but do you do you kind of see situations where people may have an intolerance at first but as they practice it within the training they get the body gets used to it and can actually use it as a fuel source.
1: No, I think I think there's an important distinction there between a food intolerance um and being able to tolerate foods. And I know that that sounds a little <laughs> a little bit complex, but but we know during exercise that there are certain foods that for for most of us um you know having having too much fat or having too much fiber um, either immediately before we exercise hard or, or during that exercise, um, is rough on our guts. We, we're just not able to digest it very easily and that can lead to some GI distress. So those kinds of things, I would say, are, are foods that you just don't tolerate well. It's
0: just not going to happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, a food intolerance is, is different to that um, and it's not something that you're going to um, be able to teach yourself because um, it's, it's actually creating a, a reaction in your body um, that can have, you know, inflammation anywhere within your system. Um, and what you can actually see too is that food intolerances can be exacerbated by stress. Um, so, for instance, if you, I mean, any time that you race, you're putting your, your body under physical stress. It's hard work. Same with hard training sessions. If you're coming into a race too, you might be nervous and anxious about it and that's a different kind of stress. So all of those different types of stresses can, can really um, heighten your sensitivity to foods um, and increase either increase uh, the, the reaction to the food or decrease the amount of food needed to cause that that same level of reaction and same symptoms. And it's one reason too why it's you know at those times and around races why it's even more crucial to be paying attention um, to those foods that you know or suspect you might have an intolerance to
0: okay interesting I'm glad I'm glad you explained that because obviously I was even a little confused there and uh, good to kind of uh, mention that and especially like you mentioned about the stress uh, you put your body under I think we often uh, don't put enough focus on that and don't realize how much that actually is affecting us. I remember um, a few years ago I had lots of GI distress and even the foods that I tried time and time again and I knew worked for me were, I I was like, why is this still upsetting my stomach? But I think it was, looking back, it was that I was very stressed during that time, so it's good you mentioned that to go back and reflect.
1: And in the book too, in The Athlete's Fix, there's a a section on, on troubleshooting GI distress um, because it's such a common issue, um, you know, for all almost all athletes, particularly endurance athletes, and, and even more particularly runners, um, it's something that a lot of us experience either frequently or at some point. So there's there's a bit of a guide to troubleshoot that to figure out if it's if it's you know something something that you're doing in your fueling strategy um, that, that that's causing that, or if it possibly be a food intolerance of some sort.
0: Okay okay yeah well I will again direct people towards the book to check that out yourself and uh, if you are having issues regularly then that probably is a good idea to purchase the book and see what you think if you can figure it out. And just one other thing I read in the book that you mentioned about uh, affecting your reaction to food for our female listeners you said that your cycle can affect how your body handles food is that correct?
1: yeah absolutely so so hormones play a really important role um in in how we tolerate and react to foods and that can also come into play as, as you said throughout your monthly cycle you can become more sensitive to foods and less sensitive at different times um but also across a lifespan and you know that can certainly be hormonal changes and or other changes um but for instance we know that that for a woman or, or a girl coming through childhood, hitting puberty, that can cause changes. You know, you can have have changes pre-pregnancy, throughout pregnancy, and and after um again when you hit menopause. And those are just some of the instances in life where you might see um food tolerances popping up for the first time. But the same the same can occur in men and and for other reasons that that have nothing to do with hormones as well. So it's it's why, and again, I, I stress it in the book, is that it's almost a continual process finding your foods, the foods that are going to work for you, because what you find today may not be working for you in five years or 10 years. You can have all of these changes that occur, environmental changes or, or genetic changes that are switched on or switched off. And how the food reacts in your body and, and and acts either positively or negatively can change.
0: Okay, so it can kind of go away as well. Like it is, it's not necessarily. If you do find you have an intolerance to something, as things change throughout your life, you may, you may find that you can tolerate it again, or do you find that once it's kind of switched on, like you said, it's it's on for life usually.
1: Yeah, it's more likely to. It's more likely to be um, that you may. Find more intolerances as opposed to it going away
0: okay okay and then
1: may it may more be that you think that you've got to this point in your life whether that's 15 years or 30 years or 80 years old um, and all of a sudden you find I'm really not tolerating lactose or I'm really not tolerating um, gluten or or grains or whatever it is
0: Mm -hmm. yeah okay that's good to clear that up Mm. so I'm just thinking about some of our listeners here or even even myself to be honest a little bit um how do you how do people not find it overwhelming with you know these allergies you mentioned you know the book you go through uh you know removing things that could be a trigger and then bringing them back in but if these intolerances keep developing like what do you say to people who say Oh, I'd just rather deal with the consequences. Do you have any specific advice? Because, you know, our society loves quick fixes and this is right. It's a great one, but it's not a quick fix. This is something you have to continually keep working on. So I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what would you recommend to people who are thinking, oh, this is just too much, too much hassle. I'm not, not gonna work worry about it.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right, it is a question I get frequently. And again, it was it was one of the real goals of the book was to make it approachable but also enjoyable um, and and I always try to inspire, you know, a love of food in people. Um, I love food and I love eating, I love cooking it um, and that's something that I try to get across as well. So I, I'd be the last person that wants to deprive people of food um, or make things difficult. Um, so, so it's really designed to be a bit of a journey. For some people it might be a journey of discovering new foods, and hopefully new foods that they get excited about, including in their diet. So I think if you can almost reframe it um, and and reframe your approach to make it that, you know, exciting journey as opposed to, oh God, this is something that I have to do and I'm gonna hate it. Because if you go in with that mindset, then clearly it's not gonna work. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If, if you can go in with, with one eyes open and being tuning into your body and how it's feeling and really respond to that uh, feeling of, you know, really noticing those improvements and as you start to feel better. And that in itself is such a, a positive feedback and such an encouragement to, to stay on that path and, and to see where you end up and, and to just be, uh, I guess, open to, to trying new things.
0: Yeah, I think that that is a lot of it, isn't it? You know, people are afraid of of uh, you know, the idea of certain things and I I know even myself I think about uh hemp seeds, you know, at first um I was thinking, oh, I don't want to eat those, you know, they're associated with marijuana. I don't want anything to do with that, but um so I kept, you know, I kept getting companies saying, "Oh, try try our hemp seeds." And I was like, "No, no, no, no. I'm not doing it." But, you know, I did try it eventually and I was like, OK, you know, that was that was stupid of me. Like I wasn't being open minded. I didn't even give it a try. And now I, you know, like them and I put them on some of my foods. So, yeah, I think that is a lot of it is, uh, you know, we, we just shut it off or you don't want to try something new. And um, I think it again comes back to that whole thing of like you said about uh, you don't want to deprive yourself. And too often uh, we see healthy eating as a, a yes or no like it's like a diet like you you know you're depriving you I can't have this or I can't have that and I'm so you know woe is me kind of thing rather than seeing it as I've heard this before where people say see it as you know I don't want to eat that food because I want to feel better so you're choosing positive words rather than saying Oh, well, I'm not allowed this or that, so I'm glad you like made that distinction because I think that's that's a hugely important thing, and you did bring that across very well in the book, so um I think our listeners will enjoy taking a read if if you do choose to yeah uh, that
1: that's such a that's such a key thing to get across um you know i mean we we all we all eat we all eat every day multiple times a day, and mm-hmm. if you can't enjoy that and have fun with that then I think, you know, what a what a miserable existence. Mm-hmm. So um, you definitely have to be able to enjoy and find fun in your food.
0: Mm-hmm. And just one side question you've just reminded me of, uh, just a personal question, so I'm sorry to anyone listening, but um, you mentioned, uh, you know, about having fun with your foods. And one thing I really enjoy doing is making my own bread and I I love doing it I love being proud of the moment when it comes out the oven I love the smell and everything and you kind of in the book you did talk about uh bread and how you know most breads that are out there are just just not good for us and you know you only need to look at the ingredients on most the store store ones to see what's in there but what do you what are your thoughts on you know making your own bread would you say that's still it's still the wheat and the flour or is it just the the rest of the stuff they put in there?
1: Look, again, I mean, that, that's a fairly individual question. Mm-hmm. Um, and But certainly at, at the outset, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of us rely too heavily on bread, bread products, cereal products. Um, and that in itself becomes a problem for, for really two reasons. One, um, if our diet is so heavy in those foods, it's really pushing out some of the more nutrient-dense options. There's a very, very small percentage of us that actually eat those recommended, you know, five serves of veggies a day and and two serves of fruit a day. And once we start to add in all those other refined carbs, there's there's really no room for them either. Yeah. Um so that's that's one of the biggest problems. Um and then the other problem is too, if we're continually being exposed to those foods and we're eating um wheat or those other grains in such a such a huge quantity day in day out um then that may be one of the factors that that is that is leading to these increased you know levels of intolerance that we're seeing
0: Mm, that's interesting and i that would that would definitely make sense when there's why why more things are popping up but yeah i hadn't thought about that but that that would make sense to me (laughs) uh and something else i was going to ask you about which um this isn't just for me, Um, about, you know, you talked in the book about um, protein, which we're going to discuss in a minute. But uh, related to that, you've got about meat and uh, how important it is to eat grass fed uh, beef because of the, well, for multiple reasons, but one of which being the high omega threes. So could you just kind of explain to our listeners a little about why it's so important to eat grass fed food? And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's something really important to me. So I'd love for everyone to hear about that.
1: Well, I think, you know, from a, from a nutrition standpoint, it makes sense when you think about it. Um, if, if we want to be healthy, humans want to be healthy, then it makes sense if we're going to eat an animal that it's a healthy animal. And what makes a healthy animal is, is their diet and, and being their natural diet. Um so so cows are meant to be out roaming eating grass that's what makes them healthy and happy and how they're treated and how what they eat their diet really does also change um the nutritional profile of their meat and so if an animal is stressed if they're not eating a diet that is healthy to them then it follows that that they have high levels of inflammation as well for us eating it, that translates to, to lower levels of those beneficial omega-3 um, fats and, and higher levels of the, the omega-6 fats. Uh, so, you know, even, even if uh, sustainability and, you know, humane farming aren't, aren't an issue at all for you on your radar, what should be an issue is, is the health and nutrition factors of, that, of, of the farming.
0: Mm-hmm. Great explanation there. And then how about with choosing a variety? I mean, a lot of people tend to kind of pick the same fish and the same meat source uh, again and again, but uh, can you kind of tell us a little about why it's important and why it's good for you to kind of pick a variety of meat and fish to enjoy? Yeah,
1: look, I mean, every every sorts of protein ha- have, have slightly different um, benefits to them um so that that's one reason to really be having the variety and the other reason is just for personal satisfaction and enjoyment you know you you don't want to get bored of of one thing so having that big mix in there is is a good thing
0: okay good good and then you kind of talked about protein being very important and uh more important as we age well a lot of our listeners are masters runners and uh so could you kind of explain a little more as why that is more important, and why protein becomes more important as you age?
1: Protein, protein is essential for everyone, um, and, as we know, but particularly after the age of about thirty or so, we're all losing muscle mass. Um, so we want to try and retain as much muscle mass as we can for for many reasons, but but probably the most important is that so that into our, you know, later years of life we're still being able to be uh, independent um, and and getting around healthily. The type of protein we eat is important. We just chatted about that a little bit, the amount that we eat, but also how we eat it throughout the day. So having having protein really spread out at, at each kind of meal and snack throughout the day, as opposed to having what a lot of us tend to do, is not much at breakfast, not much at lunch, not much you know snacks, and then at night we have this this huge big <laughs> steak or this this huge um you know chicken breast and and that's not beneficial because we can't we can't absorb all that protein at one sitting um but having it spaced out throughout the day um, we know is is much more beneficial
0: okay, great, and you talked about uh post dinner protein and how you know it's like it's good to have uh you mentioned just now about snacks but in the book you talked about having a post post dinner protein source what kind of suggestions would you have for that for people so you know they go to bed feeling comfortable uh, but uh you know get that protein in um just before they go to bed or if they get hungry snacking at night yeah i mean it can be it
1: can be anything from you know a full-fat yogurt or some nuts those are really good simple protein snacks um, it also depends you know um, when you're having dinner and 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 after that how how quickly you're going to bed as well so not everyone needs to have an additional snack I think that's that's important to note because okay. um, anytime you you talk about snacks people think of it as an addition as well as opposed to uh, Something that, that that you can either spread out throughout the day or that can be incorporated into a meal that you're already eating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's, that's probably the most important thing to know.
0: <laughs> okay, and then just uh, quickly for our vegetarians and vegans, uh, we took we've well I haven't really mentioned about uh, complete sources of protein, and I think it's a bit that's a bit too um, much of a rabbit hole to kind of go into right now. But are there any plant sources that are complete proteins that um, people can try and focus on getting if they don't want to keep eating meat all the time. Uh, to be
1: honest, eating eating on this diet as a as a vegan or a vegetarian is really quite difficult. Um, okay. I think you really are missing out on some on some key nutrients. Um, the book does go into that in a little bit more detail, um, and also runs through some ways where. If, if you are vegan or vegetarian, how how you can also improve your diet in, in several aspects and, and be meeting some of those um, nutritional goals. I think, you know, as with any way of eating, um, there are some vegans and vegetarians who do a fantastic job and who are very, very knowledgeable about nutrition and food and, um, as you say, combining several protein sources. And then there are others who who don't do such a fantastic job and and rely really quite heavily on, you know, some processed foods and packaged foods um, as, as do non-vegans and vegetarians. So, so there's, there's some, uh, some really basic guidelines run through there in the book about, about improving that.
0: So you just kind of have to, if you are in that situation, you're just going to have to dig a little deeper and just, you know, try a little harder and make sure it is a priority rather than, you know, people who do eat meat can get, away with a little more uh, variety and options to choose from I guess Um, and then just I just one of the things that I really enjoyed reading about in the book was um, about the research that you kind of looked over about protein and how um, you looked at is it possible to have too much and I know that's something that comes up often through Runners Connect we often get people asking us about uh, protein how much they need and if they have too much and can you kind of talk about the one research study you found that initially found um, that you could have too much and calcium was being excreted in in urine, but then the results were reversed? I just thought that was something really kind of interesting for our listeners to kind of finish on here because it's uh, really. I just thought that was amazing to hear.
1: Well, you're, you're jogging my memory about which particular.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can I can talk about it if you'd rather because I I you know read it recently. Um, but I, I think the one that you're referring
1: to is that you know initially, and and there still is a lot of talk about protein and saying you know that there's a ceiling amount and you can have too much and um, you know you risk you risk hurting your kidneys um, and or if you're not doing that then it's all just being excreted the the excretion of, of protein that is true so you know we we can't absorb. All of the protein in one sitting, so then some of that will be excreted and or just just converted to uh, to, to glucose and stored. Um, but in terms of in terms of it hurting your kidneys, or I think in the study you're referring to, as well having effect on on bone mass, what the study saw was that that happened initially, but over time it was reversed as you said and and bone strength and bone mass was actually increased in people um that that did eat significant quantities of of protein and and meat animals animal sources
0: yeah yeah i just i just found that really interesting and i guess you'll have to read the book to uh, get the rest of the story there so <laughs> <laughs> um well that's the the majority of the questions I had about the book uh, which again is called the athlete fix and you can find that on runnersconnect.net forward slash rc70 and then you can also find it on your website correct uh, yes pip taylor.com yep. yes so if you want to check that out you can do that there um but kind of just to end here what what is next for you I mean you have uh we've talked you know in the pre-interview about you have a newborn and you have a toddler but, um, you know, obviously that's the priority of your life right now, but do you see yourself getting back to racing someday or what does absolutely. the future hold for you? Yeah, no, okay. absolutely.
1: Um, the The plan is, uh, yes, so my boy is now, he's 11 weeks old. Oh. Um, the plan is to be back racing again in another couple of months. I have flagged a race. Um, okay, great. We'll see how things unfold over the next couple of months it's 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 really interesting it's um you know and I found this after the birth of my daughter who's now two the the getting back to racing and, and getting back to fitness is is not really about the fitness that's not the hard part the hard part is just the time um and balancing the time and and that 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 juggling game has become harder with two uh, <laughs> certainly uh but it's you know I I can see things coming together now and I'm really excited about getting back to racing and and setting those goals again and yeah so so absolutely you'll see me there racing before the end of the year for sure
0: great great so what advice would you give uh maybe newborn mother uh, new mothers about um trying to fit it all in you said that's the toughest part do you have what's your best piece of advice you have for new mothers with that Uh,
1: don't rush it. Um, you know, certainly, certainly it's, it's one thing to have goals and be eking out time for yourself to do your training and, um, or fitness, whatever that is. And and that's so, so important, but as well, at the end of the day, you know, you, if you miss a session, you're not going to be worried about that. But if you miss something important with your kids, you're going to be really Um, upset about that so so at the end of the day that is the most important Mm -hmm. Um, but you know I I do know for myself and that for a lot of other um, women and and active mothers that having that time out to be active to be in your own headspace and be doing something for yourself is also super super important Um, and it it does it does make you a, a better mom as well
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no I've heard that from a few people actually who seem to have got the balance right so good to hear you say that and what about uh, if people do want to follow you you know how uh, your racing is going in the future uh, would the best way to be best way be to check out your website or your Twitter or what would you say is the best way people can keep in touch with you and follow what you're up to?
1: Yeah definitely through the website and Twitter which is. Um, just Pip Taylor Racing. um I, I must admit, the website over the last eleven weeks has has been the blog has been a little bit slack. Um, oh, I but, think you're allowed that one. <laughs> uh, Given a free that, pass. But that should all be firing up again soon. Okay. Uh, getting things happening
0: (laughs) yeah i think you i think you've been given a free pass on that one that's 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 allowed i'd say um okay and then just to kind of end the interview with a question i always ask the guests uh, which is if you could give one word to describe what you would like to become accomplish or achieve what would it be and why
1: one word yeah oh wow uh that that's an impossible question (laughs) (laughs)
0: okay I'll give you I'll give you some examples so we've had like inspire we've had community we've had love we've had um two-pack which was the (laughs) uh the comedian's choice
1: um
0: so just something that summarizes what you'd like to become in the next year or do in the next year with your life I'm gonna say engaged great that's perfect yeah good word is that is there a reason for that like you've Uh, something you want to focus on because you've like struggled with it in the past or that's just a continuous improvement you want to make
1: no just 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 continuous I think just being switched into um to what's going on what's going on around me um things things that are important relationships that are important um work opportunities that are important um all of those things just just uh, yeah awareness
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Great word. Well, Pip, uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. And just for our listeners, I just want to tell you right now, uh, Pip, it's late at night as, she, as for her, as you can tell, she is in Australia and I am in uh, the US. So our time zones for me, I've just woken up and Pip is just <laughs> going to bed. So we've had to uh, coordinate this, but I'm so glad we managed to fit it in together and uh, get this call going. And um, I'm sure our listeners are going to get a great deal out of this. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, there you have it. And I found that really interesting and I I love talking to Pip and I do apologise about a few of the uh, random questions I had as I was going along, but I thought that would be kind of interesting and especially for those of you who are new mothers or thinking about being new mothers. um, That's kind of the thing that, you know, not many people would ask about. So hopefully you gain something from that. The topics we talked about from today's episode And obviously a link to her book, The Athlete Fix, can be found on our webpage at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc70. So the best way you can support Pip and support us at Runners Connect is by checking out that link. Uh, Obviously you can purchase Pip's book to support her and I think you'll really enjoy that read. And then to support Runners Connect, the best way you can support us is to go to that page to click through to the review page or the subscribe page and try and leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe to the podcast so you can listen every week. If you're not sure how, there's a video on the show notes. Um, But most of all, I just really appreciate your support and I really thank you for listening today. I know you could spend your time doing multiple things, but I appreciate that you've taken the time to check in with Runners Connect. If you have any suggestions for future guests, I would love to hear from you and you can email me, tina at runnersconnect.net. So until next week, have a great week.